1: We have a terrific show for you today, including special guest William Yatman. He is a senior legal fellow at the Pacific Legal Foundation. We'll also visit with our Kirk, clerk of courts here in Collier County, as well as our controller, uh, Crystal Kinzel, will be joining us. Also, Michelle Matusak, she is the funeral director at Hodges Funeral Home. And Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston at Space Architecture and author of many books, his latest, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design. It is February the 17th and on this day in 1801, Thomas Jefferson was elected the third president of the United States. The election constituted the first peaceful transfer of power from one political party to another in the United States. By 1800, when he decided to run for president, Thomas Jefferson possessed impressive political credentials and was well-suited to the presidency. In addition to drafting the Declaration of Independence, Jefferson had served in two Continental Congresses as Minister to France, as Secretary of State under George Washington, and as John Adams' Vice President. Vicious Partisan Warfare characterized the campaign of 1800 between Democrat-Republicans Jefferson and Aaron Burr and Federalists John C. Adams and uh, Charles C. Pinckney and John Jay. The election highlighted the ongoing battle between Democrat-Republican supporters of the French who were embroiled in their own bloody revolution and the pro-British Federalists who wanted to implement English-style policies in American government. The Federalists abhorred the French revolutionaries' overzealous use of the guillotine and, as as a result, were less forgiving in in their foreign policy towards the French. They advocated a strong, centralized government, a standing military and uh, financial support for emerging industries. In contrast, Jefferson's Republicans preferred limited government, unadulterated states' rights, and a primarily agrarian economy. They feared the Federalists would abandon revolutionary ideals and revert to the English monarchical uh, tradition. As Secretary of State under Washington, Jefferson opposed Secretary of Treasury Hamilton's proposal to increase military expenditures, and resigned when Washington supported the leading uh, Federalist plan for a national bank. After a bloodless but ugly campaign in which campaigns, uh, candidates, and influential supporters on both sides used the press, often anonymously, as a uh, forum for uh, firing slanderous volleys at each other. The uh, then laborious and confusing process of voting began in April 1800. Individual states uh, scheduled elections at different times, and although Jefferson and Burr ran on the same ticket as president and vice president, respectively, the Constitution still demanded that votes for each individual be counted separately. As a result, by the end of January uh, 1801, Jefferson and Burr emerged high at 73 electoral votes apiece, and Adams came in third at 65 votes. The unintended result sent the final vote to the House of Representatives. Sticklers in the Federalist-controlled House of Representatives insisted on following the Constitution's flawed rules and re- uh, refused to elect Jer- Jefferson and Burr together on the same ticket, The highly influential Federalist Alexander Hamilton, who mistrusted Jefferson but hated Burr more, persuaded the House to vote against Burr, who he called the most unfit man for office of president. This accusation and others led Burr to challenge Hamilton to a duel in 1804 that resulted in Hamilton's death. Two weeks before the scheduled inauguration, Jefferson emerged victorious and Burr was confirmed as his vice president. A contingent of sword-bearing soldiers escorted the new president to his inauguration on March the 4th, 1801, illustrating the contentious nature of the election and the victor's uh, fear (coughs) of reprisal in his inaugural address. Jefferson sought to heal political differences by graciously declaring that we are all Republicans and we are all Federalists. As a president, Jefferson made some concessions to his opponents, including taking Hamilton's advice to strengthen the American Navy. In 1801, Jefferson sent uh, naval squadrons and Marines to suppress Barbary piracy against American shipping. He reduced the national debt by one-third and acquired the Louisiana Territory, and his sponsorship of Lewis and Clark Expedition opened up the West to exploration and settlement. Jefferson's first term ended in relative stability and prosperity. And in 1804, he was overwhelmingly elected to a second term. The flawed voting system that was so problematic in the election of 1800 was later improved by the passage of the 12th Amendment, which ratified, it was ratified in 1804. So that's the story of the election. Does it sound like it's less contentious then than it is now? I don't think so, does it? Uh, In fact, these were people who were passionate. Actually, ending in a duel, Aaron, Aaron Burr, a shooting Alexander Hamilton in 1804. Well, we've got the best airport in the United States. You can add that to the accolade to the list of uh, superlatives for our corner of the world after Travel Lens announced recently that Fort Myers Southwest Air- International Airport, RSW, is the number one airport in the country based on four-category analysis. Travel is a digital publication dedicated to featuring high-quality travel articles about worldwide destinations, best hotels, restaurants, cafes, bars, and airports. RSW is one of more than 5,000 public airports in the United States, according to Travel Lens. Travel Lens pitted the 50 busiest airports against each other to reveal the best in the country based on a range of factors, including wait times, passenger satisfaction levels, a Google review rating, and CO2 emissions. Whatever, (laughs) Why that matters, I don't know. Anyhow, RSW finished number one with an overall score of 8.06 out of 10. Runner-up honors included the California's John Wayne Airport, uh, located in Orange County, and Tampa International, number four overall, with an overall rating of 7.76. That was the only other uh, Florida airport in the top ten. Tampa International was number one in customer satisfaction. We are pleased that Southwest Florida International Airport was recently named to the best airport in the U.S. by Travel Lens in the U.S. Airport Report, said Ben Siegel, executive director of the lee county port authority i am proud that rsw has the highest score in the nation based on passenger satisfaction levels airport wait times google review ratings and more we are not <coughs> we would not be able to have this success without our employees the airlines transportation security administration concessions <coughs> and airport and business partners <coughs> Who works our so hard every day to make sure the travel experience at RSW is positive one for our guests? <coughs> Excuse me, please. <coughs> RSW set a record for the number of passengers in 2022. When you consider the uh, <coughs> uh, hurricane, that's pretty impressive. The airport security secured a passenger satisfaction rate of 8.46, which is the fourth highest in the United States. So congratulations to Southwest Florida International Airport, another number one, the healthiest community in the nation, also voted the happiest, and now the best airport, RSW, number one in the nation. Well, the Polk County Sheriff's Office Vice Unit arrested 213 suspects and 24 possible human trafficking victims were identified during a seven-day undercover human trafficking operation, Operation Traffic Stop, Began Monday, February the 6th, during the investigation, 24 human trafficking victims were identified out of the 111 prostitutes who were arrested. <clears throat> Not only did we arrest more suspects during the single operation than we've ever arrested before, but we identified 24 human trafficking victims, the highest number of victims we've ever rescued during one of these investigations, said Polk County Sheriff uh, Grady Judd. The valuable relationships we have with the social services organizations who joined us in these operations make it possible for those women to get help and to be emancipated from that way of life. Those who uh, traveled to provide prostitution services were screened by detectives and the social services organizations to determine if they were being trafficked or exploited by others and were offered service by the social service organizations as the uh, operation according to the news release. Eighty-nine suspects were arrested for soliciting prostitute and traveling to uncover location to negotiate having sex in exchange for money. Thirteen other suspects were arrested and ten out of thirteen were either uh, deriving uh, proceeds from prostitution or aiding and abetting prostitutes. Uh, some notes uh, from the operation include five spe- suspects were previously arrested uh, during a similar operation, and two of those were just arrested during September 2022. 13 of the arrested, or 14 of the arrested, were suspected of being in the country illegally, 13 from Cuba, and one from Mexico, and six for of the 14 were identified as victims of human trafficking. 35 suspects were told of, uh, detectives they were married, and uh, detectives charged those arrested with a total of 68 felonies and 308 misdemeanors. So a big crackdown on human trafficking, and uh, it's all the oldest person, by the way, who was arrested, is a 64 year old, and the youngest was 19, Jamal Spike. Well, now, just days after being hospitalized for feeling lightheaded, newly minted Senator John Fetterman checked himself into a hospital to receive treatment for clinical depression, according to his chief of staff. His chief of staff, Adam uh, Jettleson, said in a statement on Thursday, last night Senator Fetter- Fetterman checked himself into Walter Reed National Military Center to receive treatment for clinical depression. And while John has experienced depression on and off throughout his life, it's only become severe in recent weeks. On Monday, John was evaluated by Dr. Brian Monahan. Monahan recommended inpatient care at Walter Reed. John agreed, and he is receiving treatment on a voluntary basis. After examining John, the doctors at Walter Reed told us that John is getting the care he needs. The following, uh, this follows the senator being hospitalized last week after he began feeling lightheaded. At the time, Fetterman's communication director. Uh, said that uh, the initial test did not show evidence of a new stroke, but that's more tests would be run. <clears throat> the senator's uh, wife, Gazelle Gep Fetterman, said in, in a pair of tweets on Thursday following the news of her husband after what he's been through in the past year, there's probably no one who has walked, wanted to talk less about his own health than John. I'm so proud of him for seeking out health, she said. So, uh, John Fetterman, Uh, now senator in Pennsylvania, is uh, suffering from depression and being treated for it. Uh, I feel bad for him. It's it's just really sad. On the other hand, how about his constituents who voted for him, who expect him to serve them, and uh, he's not capable of doing it? I think that was evident when he was elected, and uh, it's very unfortunate that uh, He'll probably end up not serving out his term, and his wife will end up serving his term. We'll see how this all plays out, but it's pretty sad indeed. <clears throat> this segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is life in Naples. Uh, dot net. Coming up, we're going to be uh, visiting with uh, uh, William Yatman. He is a senior legal fellow at the uh, Pacific Legal Foundation. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: Forty
0: five forty one. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob
3: Harton.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by InternationalHealthPlans.com. Are you planning on traveling abroad? Well, your health insurance plan may not cover international travel. You can travel with confidence by just checking out InternationalHealthPlans.com. Make sure you have the coverage that you need while you're traveling abroad. InternationalHealthPlans.com. Coming up, am going to visit with Crystal Kenzel. She is our controller and Uh, also the uh, Clerk of Courts here in Cuyahoga County. Right now we have with us William Yateman. He is a Senior Legal Fellow at the uh, Pacific Legal Foundation. William, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure. We've been talking about the debt ceiling and so many issues now for the past couple of weeks. Uh, What's the latest?
4: Well, the the latest, uh, just as a refresher to the audience, Debt ceiling, uh, that's how much money the government can borrow to pay for spending. It's currently at $31.4 trillion. Um, We unfortunately reached that in early January. That was faster than expected in Mm -hmm. large part due to uh, uh, President Biden's unilateral half a trillion dollar student debt cancellation policy. Um, When we reached it in early January, thus began, uh, quote unquote, extraordinary measures by the Treasury Department, which is, I guess, uh, sort of legalese for uh, shuffling around monies. Um, it, it's sort of a kabuki theater that can last for months, and which brings me to the big news of this week. I,
1: Congressional- think it's, I think it's referred to in, in the jargon of the day as robbing Peter to pay Paul.
4: <laughs> Indeed, yeah, the, uh, but always in the government. So, yeah, yeah. alas, I guess uh, where Peter or the the, the tax paying public is. Right. Um, uh, the news this week: the Congressional Budget Office said that uh, these extraordinary measures they will run out
1: sometime
4: between July and September, um, which I guess is a pretty pretty imprecise date um, that comports with sort of how amorphous this process is. Um, there was other disconcerting news in that CBO report, um, it, so, such as our national debt is now 98% of the GDP. Yeah. By 2033, it is projected to be 118%, which is just unsustainable. Um, it also pointed to Medicare and Social Security spending um, doubling in 2033 to $4 trillion. Um, so alarming statistics. That should give responsible policymakers impetus to negotiate some sort of solution, um, you know, is to pay this thing down. Um, And to that end, I'll note this. you know, we've long talked about how House the Republicans in the House of Representatives have made it a priority to tether spending cuts to any increase in the debt ceiling. Mm -hmm. Um, The president has remained steadfast in a position of I won't negotiate. He says he won't come to the table. But I'm pleased to report that we're starting to see cracks in the Democrat uh, front along these lines. Uh, So we already talked about how Democrat Senator Manchin has been pushing for these negotiations to go forward. This week, the first House Democrat um, conceded as much, and that's Representative Abigail uh, Spanberger out of Virginia, But in a town hall, she basically applauded the the effort of the president for sitting down with McCarthy, and she pushed for further negotiation. So that is a positive sign and perhaps uh, uh, suggests that uh, uh, the common sense here is so strong that it will even bring Democrats to the table.
1: Wouldn't that be wonderful? I mean, it's uh, it's kind of interesting, though. uh, Social Security and Medicare off of the table, that was the quote. And, of course, that's because uh biden was trying to use it as a wedge uh issue but uh, the fact of the matter is in both in both of these programs are going to go broke they need some sort of relief here in the next 10 years here here you know the, the numbers
4: say what they say and, and uh, you know uh, uh, just here here i'll note this and i'll also note as we spoke last week um, regarding the 600 odd billion dollars in waste, fraud, and abuse in pandemic-era spending, or pandemic stimulus spending. Um, it's not just these mandatory entitlement programs, you know, Social Security and Medicare, um, that need reform. There is plenty of bloat um, for government to, to address.
1: Oh, absolutely. Unbelievable. By the way, uh, apparently uh, somebody on the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, decided to resign because she thought uh, there was lawlessness lawlessness committed by another member of the Trade Commission. This is
4: remarkable. So uh, the Federal Trade Commission, it's been around since 1914. It regulates antitrust. It's run by a five-commissioner board. Um, Currently, there's only four, three Democrats and one Republican. Um, but the long and short of it is, Commissioner Christine Wilson this week resigned, and, and she did so in, in, in uh, dramatic form, if you will. That is to say, she accused the chair, Lisa Kahn, who I believe is 34, she was appointed when she was 32, huh. of lawlessness, dishonesty, and unethical behavior, said so is destroying morale at the FTC. Um, and it was it was uh, I recommend that your listeners please check out the op-ed that she wrote announcing a resignation in The Wall Street Journal. It is powerful stuff and it is indicative of, of um, you know, what I'll, I'll say this. Lisa Kahn, the, the commissioner, the the chair, whom was the, the, the subject of, of Commissioner Wilson's ire, um biden chose her over the objections of senator schumer i mean that is to say she was too far to the left of senator chuck schumer uh, senate majority leader so that gives you some indication of, of where she's coming from and this is uh, frankly unprecedented uh, this resignation and these accusations so um what is biden thinking with this choice and what's going on at the fdc
1: that's so true again uh Uh, William Yateman, Senior Legal Fellow at the Pacific Legal Foundation. Uh, PacificLegal.org is the website, PacificLegal.org. William, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us.
4: Thank you so much for having me on, Bob.
1: My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Crystal Kinzel. She is our controller and uh, clerk of courts here in Cuyahoga County. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden uh, Broadcasting Network.
0: To the Bob Harden Show, and now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences. Now building a complete, almost completing a forty-four thousand square foot performing arts center in downtown Naples. It's going to be absolutely fabulous. You can find out more and get tickets by visiting uh, gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Michelle Matuzak. She is a funeral director at Hodges Funeral Home. Right now we have with us Crystal Kinzel. She is our controller, and uh, she is also our clerk of courts here in Cuyahoga County. Crystal, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you, Bob. Good morning. Good morning to you, Crystal. So, uh, I think you've inaugurated 2023 with the release of a newsletter that you're, uh, and I think your second one is coming out this month.
2: Well, we've had the newsletter for a while, but February is out and it's loaded with information for your uh, listeners. So, um, they can subscribe to that at callyourclerk.com.
1: CallYourClerk.com. Can you give us an idea what some of the things that, that uh, you're thinking about that will be valuable to our listeners?
2: Well, the, fo- the focus this, for this newsletter has a lot to do with property and information. So, for example, one of the best opportunities is the new program that the legislature passed for any property damaged due to Hurricane Ian. And if um, your listeners were displaced from their home for more than 30 days after Hurricane Ian, they can apply for a reduction in their property taxes with the property appraiser. Um, and we facilitate a process for the Value Adjustment Board. So if any of the, uh, your listeners have any questions or issues with their property taxes, they first call Abe Skidder, the property appraiser. But if they can't reach an agreement on their property taxes, they can then file a VAB uh, petition to be heard by a panel and then result, the problems are resolved at that through a magistrate that so uh, mediates those.
1: Yeah, so uh, most people who uh, have problems with their property taxes, uh, property taxes are paid in arrears. And, of course, the hurricane happened in September, uh, so the the taxes actually applied the year before. But nevertheless, they are providing relief for uh, for homeowners and property owners. I'm
2: sorry, you cut out, Bob.
1: No, I'm sorry. So so people are, receive, are uh, uh, will receive relief or can anticipate receiving a relief if, in fact, uh, they have difficulty paying their property taxes or they think having to pay it this year would be unfair.
2: Well, that's for this year, but they also <coughs> can get a refund if they've already paid last year under this program. So it would apply for um, October, November, and December of last tax year.
1: That is amazing. That's terrific. So, yes. very valuable. And the,
2: deadline, the deadline for that is in March. So, they need to get onto the property appraisers' website and review the criteria and the information and get something filed if they feel they're entitled to that.
1: Thank you so much for that, Crystal. And by the way, I understand that Moody's has upgraded Collier County's special obligation revenue bonds uh, to. Well, we have. Absolutely, we have two good items um uh, the Moody's
2: upgrade, which helps us a a it shows that we are still a strong county despite hurricanes, so that helps in our refinancing and so we have refinanced one of our bonds for a taxpayer savings of four million dollars.
1: Wow, so that always helps that is amazing and uh so, how, how is our debt growing in Collier County, or is it? Uh, are we able to start paying it off?
2: Well, we have always, pay, you know, we pay regularly. Um, sometimes there's a refinancing. Sometimes we issue a bond for a project, or uh, particularly we have utility bonds. We have other general obligation bonds. So those do help us fund. Uh, in a low period of time, we have about eight hundred thousand i i'm sorry i wish eight hundred thousand but eight hundred million in debt outstanding um and that fluctuates to the eight hundreds, depending on the needs for construction but we obviously um that is up from historic some historical years as we have more and more road projects utility projects to finance um, but we do watch that and we take uh, opportunities to refinance and get the best deals we can
1: help me here, uh, Crystal. Because uh, thinking back, uh, we passed a, a one penny, I think it was a surcharge uh, for a, a period of seven years. Am I mistaken about that? And, and no,
2: it, no, that's come and that's coming up for a consideration for either renewal or extension. But that was a big help to get um, on board projects. The David Lawrence Center um, is moving forward. That, that was just addressed at the last commission meeting, so the mental health facility, the sheriff's evidence facility, some of those other projects that were on that list, and the good thing about that tax, it did have specific uses, so the taxpayers know exactly what that money was going to be used for, and it's supported by our sales tax, which all of our visitors then contribute to, to offset the burden to our local taxpayers.
1: Now, would you uh, be an advocate for continuing the tax?
2: I would if it was Specific to projects, Um, I don't believe in just giving a a random amount, but I think it worked really well to identify the critical needs, get the taxpayers to agree to those needs, and then move forward because it does get subsidized by our visitors, and we're lucky
1: to have all those visitors. Uh, We are indeed. I think we had a record um, number last last year. So, also in the newsletter. Except when we're trying to drive to work, it might make it a little hard. <laughs> You're so, so right about it. I always leave 10, 10 minutes extra to, uh, to make it a, around the road system uh, at this time of year. So, uh, I understand HOA, Homeowners Association restrictions, do have expiration dates. I didn't realize this. Maybe you could tell us about it.
2: Well, and it was interesting. Um, <clears throat> I've, I have been on homeowner boards, I've lived here since 88. And I was on my homeowner board, and I had never heard of it. And one gentleman came in and said to us that he had encountered this. Um, they have to be renewed or re-recorded or updated every 30 years. And, of course, in Collier, we've had a lot of building in the last 30 years. In the 80s, it would now be eligible for a re-upping, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So, they, um, I again, that's addressed in this month's newsletter, and um, it gives information to management companies for homeowners as well as the homeowner associations. And what it does is the condominium rules that go with a homeowner association, um, you know, the, the uh, rules and regulations, those do have to be re-upped to remain in effect. So um, there are nuances. Some condominium structures don't have this issue. So I would just recommend that the individual homeowners boards take a look at this.
1: Absolutely. I mean, what a, what a shame to lose that, that, that important provision in terms of a, uh, a homeowners association uh, uh, to, to, be, to be able to continue in that regard. It's pretty darn right. important. So, right. Well, congratulations to you and everything that you're doing. And any other news that you'd like to share with us?
2: Well, I just want to say we had a great event. We um, had our wedding, our annual Valentine's right. Day wedding this week and it was the most fun. We had um, 29 couples. We had 10 new marriages and 19 vow renewals. And so it was a very good uh, event. We had a lot of local sponsors, local businesses, and um, 21 Spices, Seed to Table, uh, Silver Spot, uh, Naples Soap Company. A lot of people contributed, Kilwins, Pure Florida, uh, there's a whole list that's going to be coming out in our March to recognize those people. So uh, your subscribers can also read about that event. Some happy news. Uh,
1: that is some happy news indeed. You probably want to sign up for next year too. Yeah, get that on. We your are calendar. looking
2: for. Yes, we're always looking for good uh, a good event and uh, a good venue, and uh, we want it to get as grow as big as it can
1: get absolutely so tell us again how do we subscribe to it and sign up for the newsletter
2: you can go to call your c o l l i e r c l e r k c-o-l-l-i-e-r-c-l-e-r-k.com and it says subscribe to the newsletter
1: very good. Crystal Kinzel, again, our controller and uh, Clerk of Courts, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here in the show. Thank you so much for oh, joining us. Oh,
2: thank you. I appreciate the opportunity, by that my Thank pl- you.
1: My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting uh, with Michelle Matuzak. She is the funeral director for uh, Hodges Funeral Home. There's a big event coming up this Sunday at uh, 2 to 4 p.m., at uh, their Life uh, Celebration Center. We're going to do that and more right here in The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of The Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Bob Harden show, and now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform. You can find out more and download the app by visiting the website, ChoiceSocial.us. Uh, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Larry Bell, Endowed Professor at the University of Houston in Space Architecture. Right now we have with us Michelle Matuzak. She is the Funeral Director for Hodges Funeral Home. Michelle, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, Michelle. So you've got a big event coming up this Sunday at the Hodges Life Celebration Center, located at 26051 Tamiami Trail in Bonita Springs. Maybe you can tell us about it.
3: I sure can. We are celebrating our grand opening and we're proud to introduce our Life Celebration Center to Benita Springs and the surrounding community. We are a state of the art facility um, that will be offering um, spaces to host celebration of life events, but we'd also like to be available to host other community events and, um, you know, use the space uh, because it's a beautiful state of the art uh, bright and airy space where we can host um, various different types of events.
1: Yeah, and it's uh, it's going to go from two to four p.m. But there's a, also going to be a champagne toast at three fifteen uh, uh, this uh, this Sunday afternoon. Yes,
3: we are planning an indoor and outdoor event. We have live music planned and also a few other special surprises throughout that time.
1: Yeah, it should be a great time indeed. So, uh, by the way, uh, I guess times are changing right now, and funeral services are no exception. The traditional somber, formal affair marking one's passing is transitioning into more of a celebratory event?
3: Yes, that's right. More and more of our families are looking to host events that celebrate the life um, in creative and personalized ways, and we're here to um, host events that we can personalize for families um, to their taste and needs.
1: Terrific. And uh, as I understand it, uh, we have a special guest that's going to be there on uh, on Sunday. It is uh, Thelma Hodges, who is the widow of uh, the founder of Hodges. Uh, that would be Earl Hodges. What a woman. I had the pleasure of having dinner with her one night just uh, about a month ago. She's just an extraordinary woman.
3: Yes, she is a, a wonderful woman. Um, she is very active in the community, a philanthropic woman um, who loves the community and loves um, promoting what we do at Hodges.
1: In fact, uh, as I understand it, uh, Earl Hodges and uh, Thelma were met at a dinner party. They didn't know each other about 55 years ago. And it uh, turns out they ended up getting married. And uh, she was, by the way, one of the uh, pioneer nurses at NCH Healthcare.
3: Yes. Yes, she um, and I believe two other nurses uh, were the first three at NCH, um, and she still is very active with the NCH group. Um, She helps with nursing causes um, as well as many other causes in her community.
1: Absolutely. She does a terrific job. So she's going to be there, be a special guest. Uh, What else can we expect on, on the 19th?
3: So on the 19th, we are hosting this event as, uh, beginning in the 20s because that's where, uh, when Earl and Thelma were born. But we're going to kind of journey through the decades. Um, so we'll have, um, various different decades highlighted in the building. Uh, and we'd like to reflect the different types of, um, events and decor that we can use to host and also that, you know, we just like to celebrate life and that, you know, we have a building that is um, especially designed to do that.
1: Yeah, it's uh, located convenient right there. I think it's on the east side, if I'm not mistaken. Of uh, it is. And uh, it is. And uh, it, so people have an opportunity to get in to take a tour to see what's going on. And I understand you're going to be serving uh, 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 finger food as well.
3: Yeah, we'll have some food. We'll have um, cocktails. We do have an espresso bar. Um, and we will also um, be hosting that Champagne Toast at 3.15 when we cut the ribbon. Thelma will, of course, be our guest of honor cutting the ribbon, um, and I think that the live music will also reflect our, um, our theme, which is kind of moving through the decades.
1: Moving through the decades, indeed. So do you need to RSVP?
3: RSVPs are suggested. We would love it if you could. Um, we have a link on our actual website at the bottom of the website that you can RSVP, but you can just kind of appear and show up if you would like to. If you're in the area, we would love to host you.
1: Very good. Uh, 366-5333 is the uh, phone number to RSVP. 366-5333. 366-5333 is the uh RSVP number to make a reservation. Again, it's this Sunday, February the 19th at the Hodges Life Celebration Center at 26051 and Material South in Bonita Springs. Again, 2 to 4 p.m. Ribbon cutting at uh, 3.15 p.m. I hope you'll uh, end up joining us there as well. Uh, Michelle, I always appreciate your comments here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show.
3: Thank you so much, Bob. Have a great day.
1: You as well. Thank you. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston at Space Architecture and author of many books. His latest is My Life by Design, uh, Life Beyond Boundaries and uh, Boxes, uh, My Life by Design by Professor Larry Bell. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show, here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network.
1: You have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help.
0: Come back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have with us Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in Space Architecture. He's the author of many books. His latest, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design. It's a terrific read. I've read just about all of uh, Professor Bell's books. Uh, Again, uh, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design. Professor, thank you so much for joining us here on the show.
5: And, Bob, thanks for having me on. I really enjoy it.
1: Thank you, Professor. Well, it's always a pleasure. And uh, you write a column for Newsmax. It's called On Point, Newsmax.com. And the latest is, Why Those UFOs Probably Aren't Russian. Maybe you can tell us about it.
5: Yeah, I guess as we all realize, there's been a lot of buzz in the news about uh, un- unidentified public, uh Flying objects and you know, and phenomena and so on, and uh, this has garnered some public interest over some time. And so, of course, the uh, Chinese spy balloon that flew across the country and got a lot of press, and, uh, and probably rightly so. First, it was reported to be a weather balloon by the Chinese, and or an experiment that went uh, went awry and drifted in the winds and so on. And now I guess they fessed up and said, "Well, it's probably something different." And the uh, and the Biden administration has said, "No, it was a spy balloon." And apparently, when they recovered the wreckage, they found some some sensors and you know, equipment, whatever that uh, had uh, American. English uh, printing on it and so on, probably used some of our technology. So, I got a lot of buzz. And then subsequently, of course, the three other objects were shot down, I guess, the uh, Sidewinder missiles uh, missed one of them, so these uh, Sidewinder missiles cost about a half a million bucks apiece. Mm. So, uh, you know, there's like you know, a couple million bucks worth of uh, missiles we shot at, it, at them, and uh, So it turns out to be, you know, they said balloons, but the reporting on this has been, I think, laughably sketchy in 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 you know the last few days. Uh, For example, one of them that was shot down uh, at about twenty thousand feet was reportedly hexagonal in shape. Well, I've never seen a hexagonal balloon. You know, when you blow up a balloon, it gets very round, right? And so. You know the, the notion that you have a lighter-than-air uh, object of some sort that's uh, hexagonal uh, is rather rather strange. And then, and and then, uh, and you compare this with you know previous so-called UFO and pheno- unknown phenomena uh, uh, events. Uh, these you know airline pilots and military pilots reported these had really uh, incredible flight characteristics. They didn't leave any vapor trails, but they could ch- change direction, you know, so rapidly that it would kill anyone that was a human inside. And they could operate in air and water and so on. I mean, you know was really exotic things, which I don't have a clue about, but in the article I wrote, I, I was reminiscing about, uh, Back back in the day, back back uh, just after the Soviet Union imploded, and they were opening up to uh, Americans visiting and American scientists and engineers visiting visiting uh, Russia, aerospace uh, people. Right after the you know, right after it happened in the late eight, late eighties, mm. I was invited. I was one of the first Americans to meet with people in the Russian space program. And uh, and I I made probably a dozen trips to Russia, and and uh, had had meetings with with uh, the Russian uh, people that that we we read about that you know were about that were involved in the uh, launching Sputnik and Gagarin and and the Mir space station and so on. Anyway, long story short, one evening I was invited to have dinner with. Uh, one of our senior professors at the Moscow Aviation Institute, uh, Oleg Mala at his home. And uh during the you know during the visit I, there was a picture of the Boron Boron uh launch vehicle, the Russian launch vehicle that was on its wall and, and the launch vehicle the Boron is just really a knockoff copy of our space shuttle. Uh-huh. If there's there's flew automated and set of manned and so on for you know, a few flights. They built about half a dozen of them, and in the photograph, I noticed there was this this object above above the boron that was uh, and I, and I, it's small and, and but it was in the I remember the upper left hand part of the photograph, and I made kind of a clip a kind of a joke, and I said it looks like a flying object and. My host, uh, Dr. Malazema, said, well, I've got a blow-up picture of that, of that object, and which is apparently why he had it on his wall. And, and in the picture, in the photograph, although know, it's a little bit grainy, I saw this object was, looked cylindrical, and it, uh, it, it you couldn't tell the scale of it because it was just, you know, the photograph was against, against the daylight sky, and apparently, the Russians hadn't even noticed it until they developed the film. They had, you know, they, they saw this on there and they they looked at it, and it was uh, it looked cylindrical. It looked it was it was longer than it was in diameter, uh, and, uh, and 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 Dr. Malozemov said, "Well, there have been sightings of of objects like this in the past. We can't explain them." Now, understand, this was. A very long time ago yeah and uh, before before we even talked about hypersonic uh, aircraft and a lot of the things today so I figured that well if uh, if they don't know what <laughs> they're, they're apparently not any more informed about some of the phenomena that we are so I just put that in kind of anecdotally that I think it's interesting there are certainly things that we that are being Reported that seem very 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 strange. This was definitely not a photographic anomaly. I mean, you can tell it was when you say it was it looked like it was intelligently designed. We kind of we can kind of debate about what does intelligence mean, but yeah, but uh, it was it was interesting to me.
1: So interesting indeed. I mean, the, and uh, w- you know there have been civilian uh, spottings of, of uh, unidentified flying objects. So many, in fact, that, it, in my opinion, has real credibility. And uh, sooner or later, we're going to have to acknowledge the fact that it's happening out there. And hopefully, these beings are friendly. <laughs> hopefully, they're not our enemies.
5: Yeah, I know uh, I'm always curious about the word beings, you know, because, you know, it's every, so much of our, you know, environment shapes us, of course, shapes everything. And coming from another planet planetary body with a different gravity field and and the thermal thermal range uh, and if you, if, you, if you grew up in that that environment you'd be quite a different species altogether to survive so including you know the brain et cetera. Et cetera. so I I don't know really what uh, an alien being would I can't I can't quite conceive of one or how they would Travels all those light years of, of distance and still be interested in looking at a little uh, dust speck like earth like earth and trying to figure out why we invite, why we voted for biden i can't i can 't you know i don't know <laughs> you know i don't know i think i think if they were worried about us uh, maybe we'd give them good reason to
1: yeah it's it's so true well professor i mean it's it's such an interesting column I just want to refer our listeners to uh, Go to uh, Newsmax.com, and uh, the name of the column is On Point. And this particular column is Why Those UFOs Probably Aren't Russian. Uh, so interesting, Professor Larry Bell. Also, his latest book, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design, by Professor Larry Bell. Uh, Larry, thank you so much for joining us here on the show.
5: And Bob, is always fun. Thank you so much.
1: My, uh, my pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, We've got uh, some great guests lined up on Monday, including Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Larry Reed is the professor emeritus at the uh, Foundation for Economic Education. And Jim McTague, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief, will be with us as well. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com, bobharden at hotmail.com. Also, if you enjoy the show, I hope you'll tell your friends and uh, let them know because uh, that's one of the ways we support our advertisers is uh, just get, letting people know about the show. I hope you make it a great day and weekend on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste.